0: Let's get into God's Word here, and just start talking about Leviticus. <clears throat> just give a little bit of overview. Then, overview. Then we're gonna <clears throat> gonna dive in into it, and uh, we'll take a verse at a time, a section at a time, and make our way down. Lord, only for the first chapter tonight. Well, for most people, um, Leviticus is is a book that's buried in their Bibles. Um, it's a book that that um it gets read here and there. Uh, but as i as I talk to people and i 'll mention Leviticus a lot of times I you go well know, i 've never read through that and uh, you know there, there's understanding for that uh, there's there's a lot of things that uh, you know you start reading through and so forth and and um, initially it seems like it's it 's hard to make the connection between that and uh, the new covenant and where we are with the Lord but um as you really begin to break it down and go a little deeper. It's amazing how closely it is connected. Um, in fact, the book of Leviticus is quoted over 100 times in the New Testament. Um, it's, it's a very important book to really understand uh, God's holiness, uh, the work of the cross, Jesus as our high priest, who lives to make intercession for us, and absolutely our call to holiness. Uh, as we go through the book, in, in the In the weeks to come, the months to come, it won't, it won't be in the years to come. I don't think it will be that. But you'll see over and over there's kind of five basic themes, which are a holy God, a holy priesthood, a holy people, a holy land, and a holy Savior. Holiness means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from sin. It means to be set apart unto the glory of God. Um, it's absolutely to be set apart for His purposes. And uh, praise God, our God is a holy God. If he wasn't a holy God, we wouldn't have means for salvation. And he would be a corrupt God. He would be a liar. Uh, He would be changing at every turn and be moody and so forth. And yet, uh, he is holy. He is set apart. He is without sin. And on top of all that, he's made a way of holiness for us through sending his son, Jesus Christ. Um, Again, the book shows that we need to be made clean. That we need to be made holy positionally before God. And we'll see even tonight as we begin to look at the sacrifices that were brought. Those were brought in part as an offering for sin. Which again shows us that we aren't holy. And these sacrifices were brought out of faith. Knowing eventually there would be a sacrifice that would be the fulfillment of all of those beastly sacrifices. Which would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God tonight. We know that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we're washed, we are forgiven, we are saved, we are born again, we've been reconciled. And tonight, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can rest knowing that positionally you are holy before God. Isn't that good news? We also know, again, in this book and throughout the Word, we talked a lot about this last Sunday, that we have been called now to walk in holiness practically, to abound in Him, to begin to walk in our salvation. To be uh, walking in the manner that God has called us to. And there's a lot of instruction, instruction along those lines in this book as well. Uh, the word holy is actually used 91 times in the book. And words that refer to unclean, uncleanness uh, 128 times. And um, in full disclosure, I didn't go through and count. I read that in commentary in someone that I trust. So if, if you want to keep tabs and you find 92 instead of 91, you got me. So anyhow uh the key verse and this is going to sound familiar uh really it's you know oftentimes in both these books there's a key verse that kind of that, that kind of could cast an umbrella the main idea the main theme of these books of the bible but leviticus eleven forty four through 45 is for i am the lord your god you shall therefore consecrate yourself and you shall be holy for i am holy neither shall you defile yourself with any Creeping thing that creeps on the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And uh, we shared this verse in our study in Thessalonians on Sunday, because this is one of those verses that is repeated in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then notice verse 16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And we see again that New Testament connection. Be holy as he is holy. Again, positionally, there's only one way to be holy. There's only one way to have your sins washed. There's only one way to be in right standing with God. That's through faith in Jesus Christ, the work of the cross, uh, through our high priest who laid down his life for us. But again, from there, we're called to walk in holiness, to be a people, again, abounding in him, moving forward in him. Again, Sunday, we looked at First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, and verse 7 and 8, it says, For God has not called us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who's also given us his Holy Spirit. And so we got to understand, again, God hasn't called us to legalism. God hasn't called us to start setting up our own rules and set, our, set up our own standard of what's right and wrong and judge others by. Absolutely, this isn't a call to add our efforts and our works to salvation and even grosser form of legalism, really a false gospel. But a call after we put our faith in Christ and are positionally right with God, now begin to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ to be set apart for him. To wanting to be, to want to be living as he's called us to be living. To keep short accounts with him and so forth. And again, and we talked much about it on Sunday morning. If we reject this, we don't reject man. This isn't a teaching for man. Uh, but we reject the Lord. And that's important. Because um, there's a real blur today about, uh, you know, a lot of people are blurring in Christendom that called the Holiness. And you to talk about being set apart for the Lord, even as we talked about Sunday, that call to be uh, sexually pure, to abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, there's a lot of people today that say they're Christians and they say, come on, that's legalism. No, that's, that's holiness. Now, as I shared Sunday, if, it, if it's, you got to comb your hair like Pastor Steve to be right with the Lord, now that's legalism. That's a cult. If I ever say that, you, you, you need to leave. Uh, there's a big difference between the two. And... Again, as we talked about Sunday, holiness is a good thing. God's will for us is a good thing. God doesn't call us to things to our harm, but for our good and to God's glory. And absolutely, as we walk in his commands, that's how we see that we're walking in love with the Lord. And absolutely, that's how we love our neighbor. Well, we'll start into chapter one here momentarily, but the first five chapters speak of five different sacrificial offerings uh, that were to be brought there to the tabernacle on behalf of the people. And in all of these sacrifices that were brought, we see pictures of Jesus Christ, uh, we see attributes of the Lord, uh, and we see a lot of instruction and insight about our God. And in these sacrifices as well, we see calls upon our life. And just a quick Uh, overview of the first five chapters we'll look at tonight at the burn offering and the burn offering it's a picture of bringing it all to the altar we'll see tonight with the burn offering the animal would be skinned and we'll talk about that and other than that the whole animal was to be brought to the offering, offering to the altar there and be completely consumed and we'll see tonight it's a picture of the call for us to Lay it all down before the Lord. Uh, it's a call to say, Lord, I want you to, to lord over every aspect of my life. And absolutely, it's a picture of Jesus Christ who laid it all down for us, laid it all down for the will of the Father. Uh, chapter 2, we see the grain offering or the mill offering, and it is an offering of thanksgiving. It's an offering that recognizes the sovereignty, sovereignty of God uh, in our life and so forth. And uh, we'll see absolutely uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ even gave thanks. Remember in the Passover, and when, he broke the bod- when he broke the bread and gave thanks for the cup, that the Lord was even thankful to lay down his life for us. And we'll see it's a reminder for us to be a thankful people. And then chapter 3, we read about the peace offering. And it speaks of the peace and fellowship that we have with God uh, through Jesus Christ making that way. Uh, for us to have peace and fellowship with God through the cross. And it's a picture, again, of the peace that the Lord wants us to walk in through him. And then chapter 4, we'll read about the sin offering. And the sin offering, it is a picture of Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, becoming sin for us. The sin offering is a picture of Jesus dying for our sin nature. And that's important because in chapter 5, we see the trespass offering. And that sounds a lot like the sin offering doesn't, but the trespass trespass offering is for actual sins that were committed, actual trespasses. so the sin offering is for our sin nature. the trespass offering would be for the actual sin and uh, so next week perhaps we'll we'll try to do chapter two and three, but a little overview and I, I think it's kind of good to overview it ahead of time because it can, it can start to get confusing. What are all these different offerings? So tonight we'll talk about the burnt offering and we'll look at that call to give it all to the Lord. It's that call out of Romans twelve two to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And it talks about that's a reasonable service. Why? Because the Lord laid it all down for us. Uh, he fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. He fulfilled all those prophecies. He uh, was tempted in every way, yet he never sinned. He never did what he shouldn't do according to the law, and yet he always did what the Father would have him to do. And that's an amazing thing. The Lord never had a selfish moment in all of his time. Uh, And again, the Lord is calling us to abound in holiness, to be a people to say, I want to lay it all down before the Lord. I don't want to hold anything back from him. Uh, All that I have is from him, and I want to lay it all down for him. I want to live for the Lord in all the areas of my life. So notice verse 1 here, and uh, this gives us some direction of of timeline and so forth. It says, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, and we'll look what he said here in a second. So the Lord called to Moses, and we'll see God giving Moses the instruction, uh, you know, for the priesthood, for the sacrifice, and so forth. We also, though, want to be reminded that the Lord used Moses to pen the first five books of the bible now as we look at uh, exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy we see moses you know what for the most part in all of that activity we also know lord the the, the lord used moses to to write genesis as well and from genesis you go back uh you know what uh, several hundred and even thousands of years to the beginning of creation and so you can kind of see a pattern in Genesis how things were passed down generational, probably verbally, perhaps written uh, as well. Uh, and then God used Moses to compile all this. And no doubt it wasn't just from words being passed down, but God bringing a confirmation to Moses to bring these things together and put them forth in the Word of God. And we know that absolutely, as we read there in Second Peter Uh, 1 19 through 21 he wrote as the holy spirit moved upon him and verse 21 there first peter 1 second peter 1 says for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit and so even right now the lord is calling to moses and not only is the lord speaking to moses but he's moving moses by the holy spirit to pin these things and so forth uh to absolutely put forth his word now notice as well The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. And if you were with us in our study in Exodus, or you're familiar with Exodus, we see the chronological order in this. In Exodus, remember, we saw Moses being born in a time when Pharaoh in Egypt was getting very concerned with Israel, uh, their slaves, because they were multiplying so rapidly. And they issued the decree to begin to have population control on the Israelites Uh, They had called for all the babies to be thrown into the Nile, and Moses was preserved. And then he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And then remember, he came about 40 years old or so, and it began to be put in his heart uh, to visit his brothers, the Israelites. And no doubt at that time, he began to uh, have pressed upon him that the Lord wanted to deliver the Israelites. And yet Moses tried to do it in his own flesh. It was problematic for him. And he had to flee from Egypt, remember he spent 40 years in the wilderness, and 80 years old, he comes across a burning bush, and the Lord speaks to him, and basically gives him instruction to go back to Egypt, and tell Pharaoh to let his people go, after being enslaved for some 400 years. Uh, Pharaoh didn't take kindly to that, and we read about all of the plagues that came, uh, and eventually... Israel was delivered through the blood of a lamb. And absolutely, it was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, who eventually fulfilled that. And then remember, the finally, Exodus, uh, Egypt, the Egyptian army uh, begins to regret that let them go. Well, actually, it's more Pharaoh. They chase them, And then the Lord splits the Red Sea. Israel goes through, and it comes back upon the Egyptian army. And they had found uh, chariot wheels from the Egyptian army in the Red Sea, more than one of them. And I think I know how they got there. Um, then from there, in Exodus, we saw the Lord calling Moses up to Mount Sinai. And that's where he received the Ten Commandments, other instruction from the law. And then remember, he began to show him a pattern of the tabernacle in heaven and how he wanted it to be built upon earth. And we looked at all the different furnitures, the altars, the tabernacle, and so forth, and then the word was put out to the people and they brought all of the materials which they had taken with them from Egypt because God gave them back pay from all of the years working for the Egyptians and not getting paid. And then we saw the tabernacle being erected there at the end of Exodus. And so notice here the tabernacle is obviously erected at this point and the Lord calls to Moses and speaks to him from the tabernacle of meeting. So that's how we transition here into Leviticus. So notice verse 2. He says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. So again, he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, and then he tells them what to say, speak to them my word. And again, he doesn't say, when you speak to the children of Israel, uh, go tell them what you feel like saying. Uh, And he doesn't say, go tell them what they want to hear, but you need to go speak to him, my word. And again, we just see this pattern throughout the word of God, that we need to stand on the authority of a scripture and so forth. So go speak to the my word. And again, when anyone brings an offering to the Lord, uh, we want to talk about an offering because we're going to be talking a lot about offerings. What is an offering? First of all, a, a, an offering is something given to the Lord out of a free will. It's not something that is forced. It is not something that should be brought Begrudgingly, but it's brought out of first of all worship to the Lord and to recognize God, to recognize His goodness, to recognize that He is God and we are not God. To recognize uh, all of you know what we have has been given us to us by Him. Uh, again, to praise Him and so forth. And uh, listen, offerings and sacrifices—they are not limited to the Old Testament. Absolutely, we are called to bring sacrifice and offering before the Lord as well. Now don't be bringing your bulls and sheep and goats. That's not what we're talking about here, but the Bible talks about, again, offerings of our finances, offering of our time, offering of our talents, offering of our praise. Hebrews 13:15, "Therefore by Him, or therefore by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to. His name. Hopefully tonight, for in worship, you were again worshiping God. You were singing praise to Him, uh, offering that up to God. Hopefully, you know what. We don't fall into just a pattern where we're just singing and thinking about other things, or we just say, "Well, I don't feel like singing, so I'm just gonna sit here." Uh, and you know, I'm I'm not in any way uh, saying that we should judge one another who's singing and who's not singing. But absolutely, we want to be in a place to bring a sacrifice of praise before Him, to to open our mouths and to actually express what what is hopefully going on in our hearts. And, um, you know, uh, to bring that before Him. And, and sometimes it's a little bit more of a sacrifice than others, isn't it? On a Wednesday night when you've worked all day and the kids are home from vacation and you're trying to entertain them and take care of them and then you filled up on chili and cornbread out there and so forth, and you're, 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 you, you come in. Um, listen, sometimes that's when the best sacrifices are, but how about more than that when, you know what, you're going through difficulties and trials and so forth, and you don't feel like it, and yet, you know what, we know the prophets speak of, even when no fruit's on the vine, I'm going to praise Him, because my God's on the throne, and my God has a plan, and my God's going before me, and I'm going to trust in Him, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, so absolutely these sacrifices that that we're talking about, they be brought out of worship unto the Lord, and again all of them, though we kind of did a quick overview of of what the different offerings and sacrifices represent, all of them absolutely deal with with sin, for them being right with God, they bring these sacrifices uh, to take their sin and to put it on these beasts. So that they would be right with the living God. And praise God. Praise God we don't have to do that. Uh, that Jesus has done that for us. That absolutely our sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. And he was the offering, the sacrifice for our sin. No one took his life. He laid it down for us. That we can know, that we know, that we know tonight. That our sin is covered by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews Ten, eleven 11 through 14 it says and every high priest or every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sin and that's what we're reading about Leviticus day in and day out they would bring these sacrifices listen this went on continually continually bulls sheep goats pigeons turtle doves continually be brought in, continually being offered up but they could never take away sin it was always done out of faith Looking for the fulfillment of these things, which would be the Messiah fulfilling them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse twelve it says, "But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified." Isn't that good news? The Lord laid down his life. It was a one and done. One and done. The wrath to us was placed upon him so that, again, our sins are washed. And then he has perfected forever those, notice here, that are being sanctified. Now, that's called practically walking in sanctification, walking and growing him, wanting to abound in holiness. We also know, again, that these offerings were to be brought, we've already kind of touched on it, with, with joy. Do you realize when the Lord went to the cross, in as much agony as he was in, and he was in great agony to the point where he sweat blood because of just the pressure that was upon him, calling the disciples. His heart was heavy. His heart was heavy even as they began to go towards Jerusalem, as he headed for Passion Week and so forth. And as much as that was upon him, knowing that all the wrath of us would be placed upon him and even there'd be a momentarily a momentary separation from his Father, do you know that he went and laid down his life joyfully? He did it for the joy set before him. And you know who that is, the joy set before him? Twofold, fulfilling the will of the Father, but also his love for you. Notice Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us And let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And notice what it says here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So absolutely, Jesus, when he laid down his life for you, he did it with a joy. Isn't that awesome? And then notice, in like manner, when we bring those sacrifices When we say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to give to you of my first fruits, of my finances, of my time. I want to use my gifts and talents to serve you. I want to bring sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We've been called to bring that joyfully as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he has purpose in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so as we're going through this and talking about offerings and we're seeing all these pictures of Christ, we want to remember as the Lord fulfilled all of these offerings, He did it joyfully. And then as we have been called to imitate Christ and we have been called to serve Him and present our offerings before Him, we always want to do that joyfully. We don't want to do that begrudgingly. In fact, if we start giving begrudgingly, if we start giving out a necessity, that's when we need to go back and begin to check our hearts. That's when we need to remind ourselves to listen, everything that has been given to me has been given to me by God. And actually, all of these things, none of them are even my goods. The Bible says they're his goods. And I have been counted a, a, a worthy enough steward to be able to be giving these things and now I want to use them properly for his glory and his honor and his praise and this is why it's so important for us to really strive and work on being a people of thanksgiving a people with gratitude a people that recognize when we start to grumble and complain and we're quick to turn from that and daily count our blessings because it will have a it will it will have an overflow effect on this call to give unto the Lord again of our first fruits to seek first And really to present our lives before Him, a living sacrifice. Now notice as well here about the offering from the livestock. He says it was of the herd or of the flock. And so as they would bring these sacrifices, whether it would be a bull, and we'll talk about that tonight, the the wealthy would bring a bull, a sheep or a goat, that would be the middle class, or a pigeon or a turtle dove, that would be those that were poor. And again, the Lord didn't want to put a heavy yoke on them. Uh, he wanted them to be able to give according to their income and what they had and so forth. But whatever was brought, none of it was to be wild. It was supposed to be a domesticated animal, a farm animal. Uh, and we know there's a big difference between a wild animal and a pet, right? Big difference between uh, a, a New York City rat and uh Heard a thing the other day, there's as many rats in New York City as people. That's a frightening thought, cause I think there's like 15 million people in that city. Big difference, though, between a, a, a wild rat and a pet rat. Not that I want a pet rat. I'm fine with guinea pigs, because that kind of vermin just kind of makes my skin crawl. But still, there's a big difference, right? Uh, a, 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 a pet rat is, for the most part, calm and mild. And Maybe, maybe a rat's not the best beast for the illustration here. But listen... <laughs> Uh, this is a picture of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Notice he says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Think about the difference between a dog that is gentle, uh, a dog that will come and get up on your lap and will lick you, versus going out in the wild and having a pack of wolves surround you. Big difference between the two, right? And this is a picture of our Lord who was gentle and and lowly in heart and keep that in mind keep that in mind even as we look at this call to holiness because that can seem a bit overwhelming that can paint a picture if we're not careful of, of a of a, of a god who's difficult to approach and listen he's not difficult to approach we can approach him with boldness through jesus christ who laid his life down for us and absolutely he is a call that he is a god that's concerned with our walk and wants us to be a people abounding in fruit but listen he is a Lord who is gentle and lowly in heart. He is humble. And when we come with humility before him, he's never, he's never, ever g- going to, you know what, uh, despise us in that. When we come broken, he welcomes it. Listen, it's, it's a horrible thing when you humble your heart before somebody and in turn, they don't humble the heart to you, right? When you show vulnerability to them and they don't return that. In marriage counseling, I talk about this with a lot of couples, about how you need to be able to be in the place, you know, when you're in a dispute, not that, you know, married couples ever have disputes, you need to learn to be able to humble your heart, and when your spouse is doing that, you need to be quick to recognize that and humble your heart as well. Because if you trample them when they do that, that's gonna, that's gonna, put very, that's gonna bring a lot of damage into your marriage. And, and it's a picture, again, of the Lord. he's gentle, and lowly in heart. So that's how the sacrifice will be brought. They're not bringing some wild bull that they caught on the way to the tabernacle because they say, hey, we need to get that sacrifice, but this is something that they've nurtured. This is something that it's costly. It's not something they just find along the side of the road or go and lasso and drag there, you know, to the tabernacle. This is something that they indeed have invested in. Um, Really, um, um, again, it's, it's, it's a a costly sacrifice and think about the the you know it there it was passion week when all the offerings would be brought in there into the in the temple And remember the pharisees would give their big offering and they'd blow a trumpet and it looked like so much and then remember the widow went and she put two little mites in there and the lord said that she gave more than all of them because they gave out of their abundance uh, but she gave out of her livelihood and so it was something that that cost her And we got to look at that with our offerings. The Lord doesn't want us to bring just our extras, our leftovers. A sacrifice means a sacrifice, right? It's not a sacrifice if it's not costly. But really, what does it cost us when it was all given to us in the first place? You know, it all belongs to Him. And so again, everything was domesticated. Everything was something that cost them, an investment, and so forth. Notice verse 3, it says, if his offering is a burnt sacrifice, and that's the first of these five sacrifices of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So a burnt offering, again, is the picture of, of, of saying, Lord, I want to give you all. This, this offering would be completely consumed. We'll see as we get deeper into this, most of the offerings were more cooked, and then that food was distributed amongst the Levites. That was one of the ways they were provided for, as they were the tribe of Israel that you know what oversaw the priestly duties and so forth. But with the burnt offering, except we'll see in a second here, the skin it would be completely consumed and absolutely. Jesus, as we already talked talked about, so I won't reiterate it. Jesus gave it all, and absolutely he has called us to present our bodies, which that's a picture of our life, a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. And I would just encourage you tonight, if there's areas in your life that you are not uh, yielding to the Lord, things you're holding back from God, um, listen, you are not getting ahead in that. You're not going to find more life in that. You're not going to find more blessing in that. God is calling you to take a step of faith and lay it all down before him. It's not only your reasonable service, but absolutely that is where that abundant life, he has come to give in his life and life abundant. And I can't, encourage you enough tonight to take that step of faith and um, you know as, as we know our lives and sometimes we don't know all of our life but if there's those things tonight that you know again I'll encourage you our Lord laid it all down lay it all down take that step of faith you're not going to get robbed there you're going to find life in that it's interesting as well though that the burnt sacrifice would be first you would think perhaps the sin offering would be the first one that's talked about right And that it's a picture of Jesus dying for our sin nature. Uh, Why is the burnt offering listed first? I I, I think that perhaps it's because there were offerings that men would offer before this in the scripture. Uh, We talked about this uh, on our Christmas Eve service that Sunday. How when Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to cover their sin and they couldn't. And then remember the Lord covered them with skins. And so the Lord made a sacrifice for them. It had to be a burnt sacrifice because at that point, we know that they had only been commanded to eat of the garden. After the flood, we see that God gives the command now to eat beasts of the field. So it seems that before the flood, they were all uh, vegetarians. After the flood, he told them to eat meat. So when that offering was brought and they were covered with those skins, There's no way that it wasn't a burnt offering because the Lord didn't cover them with skins and then give them, you know, uh, meat, a big steak on top of that. That would be a contradiction to the command he had already given to them. Again, we'll see in a minute as well that the skins were given to the Levites for their own, you know what, for their own wages and the burnt offering would be completely consumed. Then you look at Noah's offering Abraham's offering, the patriarchs before this, it seems like it was always a burnt offering. When they would bring those offerings, it would be a complete consuming of the offering. So that's why a lot of people think it's listed first. Notice as well, it would be a male offering without blemish. And uh, two reasons, I believe, for this, for a male offering. First of all, we know sin came through one man in the garden. Talks about this in Romans. And salvation comes through one man. And we know, well, people say, well, Eve ate. Well, it seems it was really when Adam ate of the tree, God had first and initially given him that commandment is when the sin nature came in. Sin came through one man, salvation through one man, offer of a male. But here's this as well, practically, again, these sacrifices would be brought continually. We read about that in Hebrews, right? A continual, continual offering. Well, females can do something that males can't. They can bear babies and give you more offerings, right? And so it seems practically the Lord called for the males because you could have 10 female goats and one male goat and you're good to go. But if you got 10 male goats and one female goat, that's going to be a little more difficult. And so our Lord is very practical on this. Notice as well, it would be without blemish. And we see this verbiage throughout the New Testament that Jesus absolutely is our Savior without spot, without blemish. He was without sin so that he could die for sinners also it would be their own free will offering which we already talked about not giving out of force not giving begrudgingly there was going to be no one that would come around and collect it it'd be something that they would need to do and then also they would bring the offering to the door of the tabernacle of the meeting and we'll see in a minute when they brought the animal to the door of the tabernacle the animal would be slayed at that point um it, it, it wasn't, okay, I'm going to drop off my animal, and then, okay, thank you. They would see it lose its life. It was to show them the wages of sin is death. It was to impact them with the fear of God, the reminder that one day I'm going to die. I want to make sure my sins are covered. Uh, and it was a picture to show them you need a substitute. You need someone to die in your place. Uh, by the way, this is why... A long time ago, the cemetery used to always be where the church was, well, in part. um, Because they wanted people to be reminded life is very short on their way into church. You know, I don't think, I don't, not that it's a sin, but I don't think they had like coffee bars on the way in. I think the the, the cemetery like brought a little bit more of a eternal perspective to things when they would come in to worship the Lord. Notice verse 4. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, uh, and it will be accepted on behalf to make atonement for him. And as he laid his hands upon the beast, it was a picture of saying, Lord, I understand I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to take my sin and put it upon this beast. And this is where many believe they would confess their sin. And we know if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he's made the way of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, who took, again, our sin upon him. Notice as well, they would be atoned for. Atonement means a price would be paid. It means they would be made right through, again, this act of faith. The beast would never actually take away their sin, but was an act of faith in looking towards that perfect Savior who would come, who eventually would be the fulfillment of what they were doing there. So their sins would be atoned for. The price would be paid They may be be made right with God, again, the same way we are, by grace, through faith, but their faith would be seen in their actual action. Notice verse 5. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest. Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So again, we're going to see three sections here now. The first is a bull, and then the next section talks about a goat or a sheep and then the next one a bird and everything we're going to look at after this is repetitive so we won't repeat all that again outside of talking about the different offerings but a bull would be given by those that were wealthy um, to much is given much is required uh, the scripture says in Luke twelve forty eight, Jesus said for everyone to whom much is given of him much will be required and to whom much is committed of him they will ask for the more so the one that had been given more isn't going to show up with a turtle dove is't going to show up with a sheep A bull is a lot more costly even a, absolutely at any economy than a sheep or a goat especially more than a than a bird so more would be required um, you know what I know oftentimes we talk about tithes and offerings and so forth and you know a lot of times people use ten percent kind of as a as a standard or marker and jesus talks about giving of our first fruits he says speak, speak, seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you i take that to be my whole life if i seek him first then i'm called to seek him first in my finances and i'm to give to the lord first but i think those firsts should look different for different people i think if it's something where someone's bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to much is given much is required they better really step back and assess if their first is two percent of their paycheck or or 10%, it may be the Lord is saying, Listen, I'm giving you this much because I want you to take the first 50% and use it for ministry. And again, that's something you need to bring before the Lord. It talks about purposing that in your heart, but you purpose that in your heart before the Lord in prayer, before the Lord with the scriptures open. And so, again, too much is given, much is required. And all that is given to us, and as Westerners, believe it or not, we have much given to us. We're a very blessed people. We're going to give an account for that. And the last thing we want to do is stand before the Lord, and the Lord says, I give you all this stuff. And most of that you buried in the earth, and you gave very little back. And we're going to stand before him sooner than later. Again, notice here, they killed the bull before the Lord. Again, it's that picture of them having enforced on them that the wages of their sin is death and someone needed to die for their sin. And then notice they would they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it around the altar. And have you ever read that and thought, why are they doing that? Why are they sprinkling? I mean, it, it, it sounds unsanitary, right? It, though they were very sanitary in how they kept the tabernacle and so forth, but it sounds unsanitary. Why would, you know, you sprinkle carpet freshener. You don't sprinkle blood around. Listen, this was done for the sins of the actual priest who was offering up the sacrifice. It was sprinkled around in part to cover their sin as they were slaying the animal for the sin of the person that brought it. So for the person that was the the, the priest that was actually offering it up. And absolutely, it is a picture as well as they were then a mediator before God of Jesus Christ who is our mediator notice Hebrews nine eleven through 15 and I won't talk a lot about it but just just follow along and I know we're looking at a lot here tonight but try to take this in it says but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made of hands that is not of this creation not with the blood of, of goats and calves but of his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So again, all this points to Jesus and what he would do. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purification, purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse you of your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So again, all this points to Jesus. And tonight, listen, if you're in Christ Jesus, not only have you been washed and forgiven of your sin, but the Lord is saying, listen, receive my lay down, the sprinkling of my blood, to wash you of your conscience of all of those things that you did. And I hear people at times saying, well, I, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Maybe there's some areas in your life. Well, God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. A couple things with that. Number one, it's, in a way, we're kind of making our standard higher than God's, right? God sent his son to die for you. He's forgiven you. But oh boy, I can't forgive myself over here. And I understand the battle in that because we're actually the ones that committed that sin and that's probably sin in part out of mourning and a shame of actually doing those things. But hear this in Christ, not only has he washed us of our sin and he bore our sin, but he also bore our shame and he has made that way for our conscience to be washed. And so we need to receive that forgiveness and we need to understand that God has forgiven me. So now he has not called me to walk in a guilt Yes, I want to learn from that. Yes, I don't want to repeat those things. I'm not making light of them. But I want to know the Lord has made a way for my sins to be forgiven and for my conscience to be washed. So now, provided I have genuinely brought those before the Lord lamenting and mourning, it is time to leave it behind, get your conscience washed, and go forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that tonight? Verse 6. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And so the skin... Leviticus 7, 8, it says, The priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. So yes, it would all be consumed, but the skin would be given to the Levites. And that's not a small thing. I mean, with the skin of, of, of these beasts, a lot could be done with these things. And this goes back to, again, that first offering there in the garden. It shows how the Lord could provide skins for covering for Adam and Eve which is a picture of the fact that eventually Christ would cover them of their sins and then how the offering would be a burnt offering because he didn't make them steaks to eat afterwards because at that point he had just commanded them to eat again of the trees and of the vegetation and so forth. Um, it's also a picture, though, that these priests were provided for through these sacrifices. The labor worthy of his wage. Uh, we read, again, this talked about Old Testament, New Testament... Uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule, rule well uh, be be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine for the scriptures. You shall not muzzle ox, while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of the wage. So you got to understand that all these offerings weren't wasted. Yes, in the burnt offering, it would be completely consumed, but the the skin was given to the Levites. And they didn't just have a big skin pile over here. They used this stuff, you know what, for coverings and all various things that, you know what, you, you you use this skin for. I'm not an animal skin expert myself, but you know, th- there was a purpose for it. And with these other sacrifices, we'll see that it was taken and and they, they would be consumed and so forth. Just like when, remember, they left uh, Egypt. When they put the blood of the lamb, then they, they ate that lamb. It nourished them and so forth. So this wasn't wasteful. You got to understand this. Some people, oh, this is so wasteful. It wasn't. Remember the Levites, there were 12 tribes and uh, you know, so uh, the Levites were provided for. This was a huge amount of people, and so they were they, they ate a lot of protein. Um, and again, the rest was all brought before the Lord. We also need to know as well that that when it would be cut into pieces, this would be examined for blemishes. It would be looked at the whole time during this whole process. They'd be make sure that that, and we'll we'll talk more about this in a little bit. That this beast wasn't just. Without spot or blemish outwardly, but also inwardly. We'll come more to that in a second. Verse 7, it says, The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay wood in order on the fire. And so the wood would be in order. Again, all this was very orderly, isn't it? I mean, even going back to the law given in Sinai and the construction of the tabernacle, all the duties of the Levites. And again, these actual offerings. Man, this is incredible detail, incredible order. We know God is a God of order. And then notice as well, The wood here and uh, the fire, the wood, the fire, the offering being put upon that. And absolutely, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was nailed to the wood of a cross according to the prescribed order of the Father. Jesus did it exactly as it was prophesied in the scriptures. And one thing we need to know about this fire on the altar it was to never go out, it was a perpetual fire, it was to be brought continually. Leviticus six twelve says the fire of the altar shall be kept burning uh, shall be kept burning it shall not be put out and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay burnt offering it burnt offerings in order on it and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering the fire shall always be burning on the altar it shall never go out and praise God there's so much we we can glean from this it's a reminder that when we get saved we get sealed with the Holy Spirit and absolutely God is wanting to continually uh, you know what, ignite the fire in our heart of the Holy Spirit of God. Absolutely, it is a picture of the fact that Jesus continually makes intercession for us. He never takes any time off. And it's also even a picture of judgment. Because they were saying, Lord, take the judgment due me, place it upon this beast, and this beast will be put on the fire. And indeed, we know Jesus speaks a lot about judgment. He talks about the fire of hell. For those that shun him. And we know when he comes back. Revelation speaks of him coming. And uh, eventually this earth being consumed with fire. And there being a new heaven. And a new earth. And all of that is pictured here. Now notice verse 8. It says. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts. The head. The fat in order. On the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. And he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar. As a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now notice here, the entrails would be washed. The outside would be washed, as well as the inside would be washed. And this is huge. We know in Jesus' day, there were some individuals, Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious people of the day. And boy, they looked squeaky clean on the outside, didn't they? But the Lord said, your inside is dirty. Matthew twenty-three twenty-five. he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. And it's just a reminder to us, you know what? It's easy to put on a mask. It's easy to fool people. It's easy to even lord over people. But God knows what's going on in the heart. God knows when the heart's full of extortion, self-indulgence, And we want to bring that before the Lord. We want to say, search me, O Lord. Uh, Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me. If there is, remove it, Lord. And help me to go in the everlasting way. Help me to walk in the way you have called me to walk in. Notice as well, it says, this fire was a sweet aroma to the Lord. And it said about the next sacrifice as well, which we're going to look at real quickly. A sweet aroma means it was an offering that was well-pleasing to God. And why was it well-pleasing to the Lord? It was well-pleasing because it showed the faith of the people. It showed the humility of the people. It showed, the people that, it showed that the people were in a place that they recognized we are sinners and we need a Savior. And without faith, it's impossible to please them. It showed that they had a desire to be set apart, to be holy. To say, listen, we're not going to be like these Canaanites, like these individuals around us. We want to be set apart For the Lord, we want to walk in the prescribed worship that he has put before us. Again, it also showed they were set apart to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord. And all these things were a sweet-smelling aroma to him. And I'll tell you, it's a pleasing thing, and it's a glorious thing when individuals put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over that. And it is a pleasing thing to the Lord When we say, God, I want to bring my offerings before you out of a joyful heart. That blesses the Lord. And absolutely is a sweet thing to the Lord when we, you know what, say, I want to take up my cross and follow after him. You know, Lord, my my heart is to abound in you. My heart is to walk in what you have called me to walk in. And is there really any greater thing than walk in a manner that is pleasing to him? So there's nothing greater than that. Now notice quickly, and we'll just barely touch on a few things here because a lot of this is repetitive now. Verse 10 down through 13, this would be those in the middle class, the offering they would bring. The people that they can't afford a bull, but they have sheep and goat and, you know what, a, a, a pigeon and a tur- turtle doves a dime a dozen. They, you know what, they're, they're, they're more in that middle. He says, uh, if his offering is of the flocks of the sheep or the goats as a burnt sacrifice... He shall bring a male without blemish. So again, it's that same picture, a male without blemish. It's really repetitive here, but as we think of a sheep and a goat, how can we not think of John one twenty nine? The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world." When Christ, all these hundreds of years later, would come and fulfill all these things, the Lamb of God. And again, it's the same verbiage: uh, a burnt sacrifice uh, without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest and Aaron's shun shall sprinkle its blood around the altar. He shall cut into pieces its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and lays with water. Then the pre- priest shall bring all and the burnt offering and, and burn it on the altar. And the burnt sacrifice, an offering made of fire. And notice here, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then notice 14 through 17, this would be the offering that those that were impoverished brought. And notice here he says, and if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, uh, he, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. So this is those that were impoverished. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if those, uh, you know, if, if those that are poor need to bring an offering well, tell him to go take it from the rich guy that brought a bull. It doesn't say that. Now, should the guy with the bull have a heart to help the turtle dove family over here? Absolutely. But there was requirement of even those that were impoverished. It's important because we're living in a culture today that, that, that's really twisting a lot of this stuff. That really is endorsing thief-free of we're just going to take over here and we're going to give over here now should there be a willingness over here to give over here absolutely do we have a call to do that absolutely but unfortunately there's a mindset that is being ingrained in a lot of people that are in that place of being able to get a turtle dove or a pigeon because anything God's called you to do he's going to enable you to be able to walk in that but to say well I'm just going to sit here and I just expect then everything to come and be given to me because that's justice The Bible doesn't speak in that manner. Does it speak in the matter who much is given, much is required? Does it speak of giving unto others out of a joyful heart? Absolutely. But it does not speak of these just sitting over here just saying, I expect for everything to be given to me. And generally you find in most cultures when there are groups of people that say, hey, we're going to get in and we are going to work hard. We're actually going to raise our families. We're going to be there for our kids. Fathers are going to be fathers. It's incredible what can happen. But when you get cultures where the fathers want to abandon their children, where there's not a work ethic, where everyone just wants to go live off scratchers and 40-ouncers and so forth, it's problematic. And that speaks to a lot of the issues in our own country. I make no apologies for saying that. You can take the application and put it where you want to as far as where it fits, and it fits in a lot of places. And I kind of speak of this passionately because today I talked about the outreach magazine that I get from time to time which is one of the most influential magazines that that sent out to almost every pastor in America. And the one I got today is all about basically church looking like a welfare office. Everything's about social justice and all this stuff. Absolutely, should we give to those that are impoverished? Do we do that as this church? Absolutely, we do. We do that. We're called to do that. But this idea that we're here to go solve all the world's problems, listen, Jesus said, you're always gonna have the poor with you. People need to get born again. People need to get saved. And then, as they begin to walk in holiness, it's amazing the practical blessings that come from that. It's amazing the practical blessings that come when you actually begin to apply the Proverbs. It's amazing the practical blessings that come when you say, okay, by the strength of God, I'm going to get his word hidden in my heart. I'm going to pray effectively. And then you begin to abstain from sexual immorality. It's an amazing thing that happens when you actually begin to father your children when you begin to be there for your family, when you go out and you actually work, and so forth. And make no mistake, God has put us in a place where there is an abundance of opportunities everywhere around us. So verse 14. Again, those that had less, they were to bring a pigeon, they were to bring a turtle dove. And later this is talked about in Leviticus chapter 12, uh, verse six through eight, I'm not gonna read it. Instead, I'm going to skip forward to Luke Luke chapter two, because Jesus's parents, Mary, and the Lord's adoptive father, Joseph, listen. They weren't people that had bulls. They weren't people that had sheep or goats. They were the people that had uh, turtle doves and pigeons. So they were impoverished. And notice Luke two twenty two. This speaks of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and we know that. From that passage in Leviticus, you were to offer a sacrifice for your child when they were born. It says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's what they brought for the Lord. And you know what the beautiful thing about that is? It's a picture of the Lord's life. It's a picture of the Lord's time here. of The fact that, well, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And the wealth that he's talking about here is not earthly wealth. It's not gold and silver. It's not those things that will perish. But the Lord came lowly. The Lord came humbly the Lord lived a life, listen, without extravagance. He became poor, you know what, to the point of dying on the cross. And why did he do that? God Almighty became a man so you could be rich. You know the greatest thing you have? You know what you, what you have that is worth more than anything in the world? Your salvation. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing more valuable than that because as the Lord himself said, what is a profit a man if he gains the whole world? And he loses his soul. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this first chapter. Lord, we looked at a lot of things here tonight, God. And Lord, I I just pray in the weeks to come, Lord willing, we can build on these things. And we just thank you, God, how many pictures of of you that we see in this chapter. Indeed, Lord, we thank you that you did what you did for us. That indeed you went to the cross of Calvary. And we thank you that tonight... The Bible makes it very clear that you show no partiality. And the scriptures make it clear that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, tonight I hope that all of us know Him, but if you don't, the Lord stands ready right now to wash you, to cleanse you, to be your Lord and Savior. And what does that mean, to call on the name of the Lord? It means that you are turning from whatever your Lord is. For most, it's serving the God of their own belly, it's doing as they will, doing as they please, doing what's right in their own eyes. It's saying, Lord, I acknowledge my sin. I'm turning for my own way, and I'm asking you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to be led by you according to your word. God, I want you to govern my life according to the Scriptures. I want you to be my God. I believe you died and rose again from the grave. And listen, the humble heart that genuinely calls upon him will be washed, cleansed. The Lord will seal you with the Spirit of God. He wants to empower you with this Holy Spirit. And again, he who begins that work will be faithful to complete it. And so call on his name tonight if you don't know him. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.